I hated to miss y'all last week, but uh, on our way home from San Antonio where we had our staff retreat, I just got so sick. It was awful. It was a long ride home. Um, And I got better. Once I was home and laid down for a while, things settled down, but I was pretty miserable for a while there. Um, And I know uh, Merle's right. We've got the Astro game, uh, so I'm going to be as brief as I can. Uh, Our tough question tonight is, can we trust the Bible? Yes. Goodbye. So that's going to be a short podcast for those who want to read it. (laughs) That was too long, wasn't it? Okay. So for those of you that still want to hear, um, so when I was a senior in high school and just before graduation and about a year after I had made a very important decision in my walk with the Lord. I had been a Christian. I'd given my heart to Christ when I was nine, but at at 16, uh, about a year before this, I had made a more of an adult decision where I, I said, okay, Lord, I, I really want to live for you. I don't just want to go to church and go to heaven when I die. I want to be whatever you want me to be. I want to be conformed to your will. And, and so... Um, at this point, right before graduation, you know how, uh, if you can remember back then, adults are always trying to give you advice and, and give you guidance for the next step of life. And I had a, an adult who was very important to me, um, who I admired and who had invested in me some, and, and she knew my uh, commitment to the Lord, I guess you could say. And she said something that just devastated me. She said, someday you're going to learn how the Bible was really put together and that it can't possibly be the Word of God, and you're going to see how you've been deceived. And I remember thinking at the time, well, I know better than that. And three decades plus have passed, and uh, I've seen in that meantime lots of reasons to back up what she said. And so what I want to talk about tonight is, can we really trust the Bible? Was she right? Is the Bible worthy of our trust? And that really breaks down into two questions. And one goes sort of like this. Is it rational to base your life on a book that's 2,000 years old, especially when there's lots of other holy, quote-unquote, holy books out there? Um, How do we know these words are inspired? How do we know that we can take these words literally? So uh, your notes say next week. It's actually going to be week after next. We're going to talk about that idea. Can we believe the Bible? Are the Bible's words trustworthy? But tonight, the other question we have to ask is, do we know that the Bible we have today is the one that was originally written? How do we know the Bible we have today is actually authentic? And there's two reasons why people doubt that. One is they'll say, well, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and they didn't have Xerox machines back then, and so it was hand-copied down through time. And over time, corruption came into the text because you had people who mistranslated and mis- mistranscribed, and you had political agendas that found their way in it. And this, this bishop or that preacher or this scribe or that teacher said, well, I think it ought to say this. And so there's no way we can even know what the Bible originally said. It's sort of like the telephone game. Remember the telephone game when we were kids? Now, my most memorable instance of the telephone game, I was actually in college, and I was, I, I, it was at a job. We were doing some job training, and we did the telephone game as an exercise. And we had an Indian student on our team uh, whose name was Haroon. I remember him just because of this. 
the, the, the boss whispered in the ear of the per first person in line something like, Haroon goes grocery shopping on Fridays. And we whispered, whispered, whispered. And at the end, the person said, Haroon goes varoom in the bedroom. <laughs> and we all died laughing and Haroon turned scarlet and purple. And, um, but it was just an illustration that when you pass a message along, person to person, person to person, over generations, the message is going to get corrupted until you don't know what it actually said. So that's one reason people doubt that the Bible is authentic. The other reason they doubt is they'll say, well, you know, these books we have were not the only books written about Jesus. During the New Testament era, those first 400 years after Jesus, there were lots of books written about him and about spiritual matters. Um, and some of them claimed to have been written by apostles. And so who decided on these specific books? See, a lot of people think what happened was there, was a, there, were, there were a group of bishops who got together and, and made a decision. Here are the books that are in the Bible and the rest are out. And that they did so for political reasons. In fact, some say it was the Emperor Constantine himself, the first uh, quote-unquote Christian emperor of Rome who said, okay, here's what we're going to decide. And so uh, we want Jesus to be divine. Well, then let's put in the books that say he was divine. Some of you are familiar with a, a, a novel about 15 years ago called The Da Vinci Code. And yes, it is fiction. But it, it's based on, it was a bestseller, multiple, multiple bestseller, and there have been a lot of books in that series since and movies made about it. And again, a work of fiction, but it, it goes on the theory that uh, the church is hiding secrets about Jesus. And one of those secrets is that the divinity of Jesus was decided on by a small group of men 400 years after he lived who said, okay, let's call Jesus divine and let's banish all the works that don't call him divine. And that's the Bible we have today. So... Two questions to answer. Number one, do our current Bibles contain the words of the original authors? And the second question, how were these books chosen to be in the Bible? So that first question, do our current Bibles contain the works of the original authors? So again, think about that idea of the telephone game. And it's easy if you think about it that way to start to doubt. Oh man, yeah, I don't know how we can believe that this is actually... I can remember being an adult the first time somebody explained to me that we don't actually have the original copy of the Gospel of John. We don't actually have a scroll somewhere in a museum that this is the actual scroll that Paul put his pen on to write his letter to Ephesus or to first or to Corinthian or to the Corinthians or, or whoever. It, it you know what we have is copies of copies of copies of those books and that really bothered me. I just assumed we had the original Bible somewhere. And so what do we have to say to that? How can we trust what we have? Well, the best way I can put it is this. The, the telephone game is not actually a good analogy, number one, because people didn't pass this along by whispering. They did it by writing. And people in those days, the, the scribes took their work seriously. A better way to imagine it is this. Imagine we're doing the telephone game, but instead of one line of people, we got 50 different lines of people, okay? And the, the person whispers, to all 50 of the first people in line, Haroon goes grocery shopping on Friday. And they write it down on a piece of paper and hand it to the person behind them. And then that person writes, writes it down on another piece of paper. And it goes down the line, 50 different directions. Now imagine that happens. And the next day I come into that classroom and everybody's gone, but I find all those sheets of paper laying there. And some of them sound a little different. Some of them say Haroon goes grocery shopping on 
Tuesday, or some of them say Haroon goes grocery shopping at HEB, or some of them say Haroon goes uh, eating Tex-Mex at El Bosque, or whatever. You think I'll be able to look at those sheets of paper and figure out what the original message was? Especially if I can look at each sheet and tell, oh, this one was written by the third person in line. This one was written by the 27th person in line. Well, that's actually how it works. You see, the there is a whole field of study called textual criticism. So men and women go to school and learn how to determine the difference between a manuscript that is authentic and one that is not. And how to, when you've got two manuscripts and they disagree slightly, well, which one's right? So for instance, let's just imagine one of these, one of these men uh, is translating the Bible, is, is putting out a new translation of scripture, and he's got all these Greek manuscripts and he's looking at the Gospel of Luke, and in Luke 11, 2, it says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. But then someone rushes in and says, we found a new Greek manuscript of the Gospel of Luke. Why don't you see what it says? And when he gets to Luke 11, 2, in that manuscript, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So which one's right? Well, because of his training, he knows that the older of the two is going to be more accurate. And the one he just got was written down in the 10th century, about 1000 AD. Whereas the ones he's working with otherwise are written about 200 AD. So they're older. And he's also been taught that if you've got two that disagree, the longer one is probably incorrect. Because over time, it's more likely that someone added to the Bible than that they took it away. And so he says, okay, I'm going to stick with what we already had. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I'm going to assume that whoever this scribe was in 1000 AD who was copying Luke by hand, he probably just remembered Matthew 6, 9, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer that says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And he got crossed up. He was working from memory and he wrote that down instead. Simple mistake. But here's what he does. He sticks with what he has, but he puts in a little footnote. And the footnote, when you get down at the bottom of the Bible, it says, other manuscripts say this. Now, if you look at your English Bible, unless you've got a very old translation of the Bible, you'll have those footnotes on almost every page. And you probably just skim right over them because you're not really in it for manuscript evidence. You're trying to see what God's trying to say to you through the Word. But here's what I want you to see. If you ever want to spend an hour just reading through those footnotes and looking at the alternate translations or the alternate versions of different verses, what you'll find is in every single case, it's something like what I just mentioned. It's a difference in wording. There's no place where any doctrine of Christianity is in danger. There's no place, for instance, there's no alternate version of John 14, 6 where Jesus says, well, there's plenty of ways to God, and I'm one of them. Every single one that we have says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So are, how, were there some mistakes made down through the years in, in hand-copying the Scriptures? Yes, but it's very easy to tell where those mistakes are. And we have full confidence. We can have full confidence that what we have is the authentic word. In fact, let me just back that up a little bit more. 
So I, I talked about if this was a telephone game, you'd have 50 lines instead of one. That's actually a, a, a vast understatement. We actually have 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament right now. And that changes all the time because we're always finding new ones. 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament plus 20,000 manuscripts from the ancient world in other languages like Syrian and Egyptian um, and Latin. And besides that, we've got letters written by pastors and other church leaders from 100, 200, 300 AD, and they're quoting scripture to one another. So just imagine... We don't have a copy of the Gospel of Mark that dates back to 90 AD, but we might have a letter from one pastor to another where he says, as Jesus said in Mark 13, and he quotes scripture there. And so you can look at that and say, okay, does that match up to what we have in our current text of Matthew or of Mark? And so we have incredible confidence, full confidence that what we have is authentic. In fact, I'm going to go further. I think this is better than having an original scroll of the Bible in some museum somewhere. You know why? Because if that's what we had, then people would say, that's not, that's not real. That's a fake. Somebody back in church history just forged that. But now that we have all these thousands of different manuscripts and we can check them against each other, there's no chance anybody faked it. You'd have to be the biggest... Uh, conspiracy nut in the world to think that thousands of different people living all over the Mediterranean world conspired to write the same thing. We have full confidence that the Bible we have today contains the words of the original authors. Now, second question, how were these books chosen to be in the Bible? So again, the conspiracy theory is that a small group of people met about 400 AD and said, okay, here's what's in the Bible and the rest of them are out. That's not actually the way it worked. The way, you, the way you have to imagine it is, or understand it is, you have to go way further earlier in Christian history. So one thing we need to understand is the first generation of Christians didn't worship the way we do. They didn't have church buildings. They didn't have Sundays off. So the way it probably worked, as best we can tell from history and from Scripture, is at the end of the work day, they would gather in someone's home, They'd share a meal. They would sing some songs, psalms from the Old Testament and songs about Jesus that had been written recently. Um, and then they would read something from the Bible. And remember, the Bible they had was what we call the Old Testament. And then someone would get up and speak about what they'd read, maybe two or three if they felt called by the Lord to speak that day. Then they'd share the Lord's Supper and they'd go home. Then over time, apostles would start writing letters to churches. Now, what's an apostle? An apostle is someone who knew Jesus personally and was handpicked by him to represent the church or to represent God. So apostles like James, like John, like Peter, like Paul would write letters to churches. And so the church at Ephesus would get a letter from Paul. And someone in the church would say, look at this. We've got this letter from Paul. Let's, we're not going to read out of Jeremiah today. We're going to read this letter from Paul because he's an apostle. And, and this is interesting. I want you to see this. 2 Peter 3.16. These are the words of the apostle Peter. 
He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now I remember for years I used to read that and I would laugh to myself about old blue-collar Peter and how he thought Paul, who was so educated and erudite, that the things he wrote about were hard to understand. And I'd always think, yeah, poor Peter. I bet he had a hard time with Paul. But the real lead of that story is Peter and Paul lived at the same time, and Peter is calling the words of Paul Scripture. So even in the time Paul was alive, Christians said, we got a letter from Paul. This is the Word of God. We got a letter from Peter. This is the Word of God. So again, the people in Ephesus would read that letter and say, okay, this is a letter from Paul to us, and they'd listen to it. In fact, they'd probably read it and meditate on it for weeks at a time. And someone in the church would say, we got to get this to someone else, and they'd copy it down, and they'd keep a copy themselves, and they'd send another copy to Laodicea. And the Laodiceans would do the same thing and send it to Colossae. And that's how the scriptures circulated. And over time, you'd start to see, okay, well, we've got, we've got Paul's letter to Ephesus, and we've got, we've got the first letter Peter wrote, and we've got two of John's letters. And I heard that Mark just wrote down a gospel when he sat down and interviewed Peter, and Luke's working on a gospel of his own. And when we get that, we'll put it in our collection as well. And so that's how uh, the church has accumulated scripture over time. Now, as the centuries passed, there were other books that were written. There's a gospel of Thomas. There's the Apocalypse of Peter, there's uh, the Epistle of uh, Barnabas, and all these other books. But those books were written long after those people had died. Now what would happen is, if you're, let's say, in the year 175, you're the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and someone comes to you and says, guess what, I've got a, I've got a letter that's, that's called the Gospel of Thomas, Let's read it to the church. And being a pastor and being a good person, you'd sit and read through it and you'd say, okay, is this scripture? I don't want to read it to my church unless I know it's real. The first thing you'd know is, well, I don't know that this came from an apostle. It says Thomas on the top of it, but I've never heard of it before now. And Thomas has been dead over 100 years. And secondly, is this confirmed by God's power? See, the church had certain criteria that they judged each of these letters and each of these gospels by. Is this confirmed by God's power? Have I heard stories of people reading this and their lives changing as a result? Have I heard about people reading this gospel of Thomas and, and them getting saved? Well, I haven't. And is it true? You know, there were books written, letters and, and gospels written uh, two or 300 years after Jesus that told fanciful stories about him. Like one tells the story of him as a little boy uh, bumping into another little boy and getting mad and, and striking him dead. And then the parents come along and complain and Jesus strikes them blind. And the church rejected that. I mean, we still have copies of it, but the church rejected that because they said, that's not true. That's not, that doesn't sound like the Jesus we've been told about by the apostles. There were things written back then that the church looked at and said, that can't be true. If that's true, then the Gospels we have aren't true. Therefore, we reject these books. And then the fourth criteria was it was accepted by all of God's people. So if you're that pastor in Ephesus and you get this Gospel of Thomas and you're thinking, well, it doesn't sound authentic to me, but I'm going to walk over here to Laodicea and talk to that church and see what they think. And I'm going to find out what the people in Colossae think and the people in Galatia think. And over time, there was a consensus that developed. 
Now, it is true that there were councils, the Council of Carthage in 397, for instance, where bishops did gather and say, okay, let's settle this once and for all, what's in and what's out. But by that time, the local churches had already made their decision. The only reason they had these councils was there were these fringe movements on the outside. And one of them was called Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Now, I don't have time to talk about what Gnosticism is. That can be a subject of another time. But that was a major heresy in the, in the second and third centuries. And the Gospel of Thomas was a Gnostic gospel. So the early church rejected it. The, the individual churches rejected it. There were these fringe people who were pushing this stuff. And that's why the bishops had to come together and say, okay, we've, we've got to once and for all say, Thomas is not part of the Bible. Barnabas is not part of the Bible. And uh, the apocalypse of Peter is not part of the New Testament. And, and, and so th- when you come to the end of it, here's what I've learned. You know, in three decades since um, this adult that I respected told me that, it turns out she was wrong. I actually believe more strongly in the scriptures now than I did before I learned all this. Before I, I learned how the Bible was actually put together, before I learned uh, the truth about how I got this book that's in my hands, now that I know the links that people went to to transmit the scriptures to me and to us, how martyrs actually gave their lives to make sure we could read God's word, how, uh, how God took care to make sure we had enough manuscripts to know with confidence what the words actually were. Now I don't doubt at all that this is the word of God. And moreover, the more I read it, the more it gets hold of me. It just won't let go of me. And the longer I live, the more I see I will never get to the end of this book. I will never get to the point where I say, okay, I've got that. And that's the wonderful thing about it. We can trust the Bible because it's, it's the word, it's, it's a book like the book of Hebrews says, it's like a sharp two-edged sword that just cuts right into you and does surgery on your soul every time you open yourself up to it. And so we can say, thank God for your word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that it tells us what we need to know about who you are and what you require of us. And most importantly, it tells us about what you've done for us. And I thank you for the people here tonight. Many of them probably uh, weren't doubting any of this or, or wondering any of this, but they probably know people who are. And so I pray that you would give us each wisdom to know how to interact with people who doubt the trustworthiness of your word. I pray that we would live in such a way that we would change their minds. And just as importantly, Lord, give us greater and greater confidence in the truth of your word and in the glory of your name. For it's in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.